if it does a really bad job for protecting the quality or the color of the product, then, then we have an issue from a quality standpoint. And so, as you mentioned, it's important for people like you and me to collaborate together because we have to balance the safety concerns with the quality aspects as well. So ultimately what we're trying to do is find the most effective intervention. Welcome to Meets Pat, a platform to share breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the entire meat industry. Be ready to hear from meat specialists who will talk about numerous topics in meat science, including animal welfare, meat production, meat quality, and so much more. This podcast is brought to you by the Niche Meat Processor Assistance Network, the national provisioner, and Ultrasource, the new standard for innovation. Since 1883, Ultrasource has been a trusted supplier to the food industry. Ultrasource provides superior kill floor processing, packaging, and labeling equipment and operational supplies. Hello, meat folks. Welcome to the Meatspad Podcast. My name is Francisco Nohara. I'm your host today. We continue our conversations with leaders and meat scientists around the world. And today, I'm happy to have Dr. Sarah Gregg as her guest. She's an associate professor at Kansas State University. She does a lot of work on food safety and antimicrobial interventions. We collaborate with some projects. Welcome, Dr. Gregg. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Francisco, for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Yeah, thank you. Now, please tell us a little bit about your career, about your background, some of uh, the experiences and a little bit about your education. For those folks listening now and may want to learn more about you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Francisco. So I'm originally from Nebraska and I obtained my Bachelor's of Science in Food Science and Technology from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And there, from there, I went to graduate school at Texas Tech University, where I got my master's in food science and my PhD in animal science. And all throughout my time at Nebraska, as well as Texas Tech, I was focusing on food safety, particularly food safety interventions and applying interventions to meat and poultry products to determine their efficacy to control foodborne pathogens has always been one of my areas of research. And so I'm very happy to be here today sharing with you a little bit about my past in that area. You do a lot of work on food safety. Uh, You help the meat industry to uh, conduct some validation studies so they can utilize to mitigate pathogens in the meat industry. Um, some of your work is on, on antimicrobial interventions. Please tell us more about what is an antimicrobial intervention and how can industry utilize those? That's a very good question. Well, so we know that foodborne pathogens like shigatoxin producing E. coli and salmonella are associated with animals like cattle. And we know that cattle are a principal reservoir for those animals or for those foodborne pathogens, I should say. And so when we think about bringing those animals into a slaughter facility, it's very possible and likely that those pathogens could be on the hide of that animal. And so as we get into the abattoir for processing, it's really important to handle the hide as well as the carcasses, the viscera with care so that pathogens 
don't actually find their way onto the carcass surface. Now we have very, very sanitary dressing procedures and very sanitary processes that are followed to, to control these things. However, we have to stick the animal and so we have to enter the hide at that point. And so that is definitely the first risk for contamination to the carcass. And then after that, we are going to apply interventions to the carcass surface and also to subprimals and trim to try to treat the surface for any pathogens that may have found their way onto the carcass surface or the product surface during the slaughter and fabrication process. Yeah, I think you brought up a very good point on the sanitation. I mean, you're bringing in livestock animals into the meat processing facility. Um, they might carry some pathogens, especially on the heights. But now, what are the most commonly used antimicrobials by the meat industry? And if those, those vary, I mean, depending on, on a species. Right. So the USDA Food Safety and Inspection Service actually has a list of approved antimicrobials for the meat and poultry industry. And there are different regulatory limits for the amount that can be used for each antimicrobial and the way that they can be used. And so I would, I would refer everybody to look at that information first and foremost. But in terms of what is commonly used, I would say hot water is actually pretty commonly used as well as organic acids, so lactic acid and acetic acid, but lactic acid, it might be used a little more, more commonly, I would say. And then some facilities will also use peroxyacetic acid as well. So I would say those are maybe the most common ones that we see used in, in the meat and poultry industry. Yeah, and, and I think uh, uh, following up on our, one of our previous episodes with Dr. Jennifer Acuff, uh, when we talk about slaughter safety and some of the, the procedures and practices that we have to follow to just improve that sanitation process in our facilities, and we touch on, on hot water, and you, that's, I think that's very important because uh, we kind of gave a range, but she suggested the pasteurization process that we reduce some uh, microorganisms on the surface and the, on the carcass. So typically between 160 and 180 degrees Fahrenheit that we also have take into consideration other factors like color of, of the carcass, if that's affected or not. If the antimicrobial has an impact on the oxidation when, to, to also look at some other factors. And, that, and I think that's some of the, of the importance of this work that we're looking at how to reduce pathogens without compromising the quality of the meat from that perspective, from the color and the oxidation uh, standpoint. Yes, you bring up a really good point. So from a food safety perspective, you know, we might rinse the carcass with lactic acid, acetic acid, hot water, and so forth, to, or, or the subprimals or the trim, right, the different products we might apply these, these interventions to. But if, if it does a really bad job for protecting the quality or the color of the product, then, then we have an issue from a quality standpoint. And so as you mentioned, it's important for people like you and me to collaborate together because we have to balance the safety concerns with the quality aspects as well. So ultimately what we're trying to do is find the most effective intervention to help control and reduce any sort of risk of foodborne pathogens, but while also protecting things like 
like color, and then of course any sensory parameters as well. So Dr. Greg, um, for our previous episode, we've been asking or guest um, about some unique or some specific experience that you have gone through had an impact on you and so it just helped you become or help you become more aware about certain situations in life that uh, that sometimes we don't really look at them as as important so for us to in our audience to get to know you a little bit better again I mean it could be related to to meat science uh, it could be related to food safety, but something that really uh, had an impact or influenced you as a professional. Right. So that's a very good question. Thank you for asking. When you know, in the, in the field of food safety, we always talk about the young, the elderly, and the immunocompromised as being most at risk for foodborne illness or complications mm -hmm. from foodborne disease. And so for me, when I became a parent, actually, I have two young boys. They are currently 10 and 7. And so when I became a parent, that became more real for me. I always, I always knew that children were more at risk because of their developing immune systems. But when you actually become a parent and you realize how, as a parent, you know, it's your job to protect these, these children and keep them healthy and strong, and so it really gave my work in food safety more meaning because I realized I, I could put the, a face, my two little boys, to that young and children category that we talk about in food safety. And so it really it brought a new meaning and purpose to what I do. And so it, it helps inspire me to remind myself that protecting public health is a very important business and it's something that I'm very passionate about and very proud to do. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's uh, that's very important. A lot of it sometimes we don't get to think about our family and especially when we're conducting some of that research that uh, contributing to research but also doing it in a safe way. Now let's talk a little bit about what we do here at K-State uh, in terms of using the Biosecurity Research Institute or about this unique facility how can we do research here that may not be possible to do in another facility? Uh, please tell us a little bit about what we do, about the, uh, the carcass inoculation. Yes, absolutely. So as I mentioned previously, the, like, the beef and pork industry has a, ha, they have very specific sanitary procedures that work to protect our products. And they have very specific protocols followed to make sure that, as you mentioned, the slaughter facilities are as clean as possible. And then we add these interventions to the carcass and the meat products as a, an extra step to protect for foodborne pathogens. So the beef and pork and, and poultry industries are very, very good at protecting our products. I wanna, I wanna point that out first and foremost. And so on our end, when we do intervention research, it is, to validate different chemicals, interventions, and so forth as effective to control foodborne pathogens on a carcass or a meat surface. And so that, that work is, is very important work as well because it goes to support all of the other sanitary procedures that are being followed in our facilities. But that work can also be really challenging to do from a research perspective because if we're talking about a beef carcass or a 
pork carcass, a market hog carcass, for example, those are, those are big and we have to have rail systems to hang them. And if we're um, trying to mimic and simulate what is, is going on in a facility, then we need to be able to use a full carcass, whether it be a beef carcass or a market hog carcass. And so for us here at Kansas State University, we're actually very fortunate because we do have the Biosecurity Research Institute where we can hang, we can go through USDA approved slaughter procedures at the BRI. And so we can mimic exactly what's going on in a USDA inspected facility. And then we can do this under a biosafety level three environment so that we can then put pathogens on a full carcass in a safe manner, safe and effective manner. And because of the way the BRI is set up, as I said, we can mimic what goes on in the industry in our research facility and apply these interventions to an, a full-size inoculated carcass. And so we can do a really good job of mimicking all of the procedures so that what we produce as a research product is as similar as possible to the industry and therefore our results can be quickly applicable and implemented and feasibly used by our industry partners as well. And as you mentioned, Francisco, you're a part of that research and you've been, you've been over at the BRI with us. And so you know the importance of that research and, and how effective our facility is for, for what we're trying to do. I guess we, we're coming to the end, but we have one more question then. What are some of the current trends in other species that we can, in the following years, we'll see uh, something new, validation studies to minimize other pathogens? I can uh, foresee that in the future, some of the interventions that have been validated and historically used on the beef side are now going to be validated and used in the pork industry as well to control for the same pathogen. So for example, salmonella and shigatoxin producing E. coli. So that, that would be my prediction for what we're going to see in the future. And as you know, Francisco, we have spent time at Kansas State University in the past year looking at market hog carcass interventions to help the industry with, with options. So our goal has been to consider interventions like lactic acid that we've already mentioned that is commonly used in the beef industry and looking at efficacy of those interventions on the market hog surface. And we have looked at as a research team, Salmonella as well as STEC, and validated a variety of carcass level interventions, as well as some subprimal and trim interventions against Salmonella. And to look at efficacy and provide basically a toolbox of options for the pork industry to choose from for their operation. And so those, those studies are actually going to be coming out soon, hopefully in the peer-reviewed literature. So I would say watch for those. And, and I anticipate that, that the pork industry will then be using that information to implement validated interventions in their facilities as well. What would you tell, for example, for those small and mid-sized processors, how can they start using those, as you mentioned, that toolbox uh, for for them to use it in their facilities, do you know what would be some of your recommendations for uh, our processors that might not have 
um, the same resources like other companies that bigger companies have? So we looked at a variety of different intervention types as well as application methods. So a, a low pressure as well as a high pressure, for example, and, and a variety of different chemicals. And so our, our plan was to try to find a variety of options to validate. And so hopefully the, the pork industry will be able, whether it be a small processor with, with low pressure capabilities or, a, um, or high pressure capabilities or whatever the scenario, hopefully we have provided a validated intervention for them to consider for their application in their facility. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Greg, for, for again, for being here today on this podcast. And I hope that we may see you soon and maybe potentially maybe in the following months talking about some of those amazing results from that, from that research and uh, maybe uh, published in, in a peer-reviewed journal article. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Francisco. That we end this episode. Thank you a lot for listening. If you'd like to receive notifications on the new releases and the new episodes please subscribe at www.meatspad.com if you're a small and mid-sized meat processor and you have concerns or questions about a certain topic related to to meat science and meat processing please email us at info at thank you and see you the next time